Yeah, so hi, my name is Keith Rosario. Uh, yeah, like you say, in 2017, uh, I started off com. A uh, short-lived website, less than a week old before it was shut down. Um, but it was a breach certification website that was later blocked by uh, various agencies within the Malaysian government. Um, and here I am today. Yeah. Okay. So since since at that since that time, 2017, what has hmm. happened to your your breach notification efforts? And did you follow the Great Telco leak story? And like uh, I don't know like a, a kind of like a, a sense of dissatisfaction or whatever sense that that um uh, was brought about by your your short lift your your website having to close down so prematurely so and prematurely we, yeah, yeah and, uh, was, it was kind of an injustice because you were doing a service i i think personally i think it was a service for the malaysian public and a lot of people were actually interested to know whether they were actually hacked or not you were doing a yep. great thing a good thing right um so, but it was it was not meant to be. And so, what what went on from there? What happened? Um, yeah, I mean, it's all water under the bridge right now. <laughs> uh, trying not to dwell in the past. But um, yeah, so I mean, the the website was launched. I think on a on a uh, I forget now. I think on Monday or a Tuesday, it was blocked by Thursday afternoon. Some something along those times. I forgot the okay. actual dates. But. Um, uh, yeah, and I, I shut it down in about, oh, I think it was it Saturday. So it was roughly, you know, five, six days end to end from, from start to finish. Mm-hmm. Um, within that time, a couple hundred thousand people came to the site to check whether they were breached or not part of the breach. Most likely, if you had an account in any telco registered under your name, you were in the breach. It's just a matter of, you know, which numbers uh, were in that breach at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean... Uh, injustice is a big word, I think. But uh, uh, I mean, um, subsequent to that, uh, I, I did um, sort of follow up and we did have a couple of conversations with the PDPA commissioners. So both of them, there were two commissioners at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I you know it, it's just the way I think government agencies work. It, it, there are certain regulations and, and sort of uh, um, laws that they have to abide by. Uh, strictly speaking, within the within the framework that they're given, I think a breach notification website is not possible, legally speaking. Um, so they couldn't be seen to, to support it. Um, what really happened um, is the PDPA requested the MCMC to block the site, and the MCMC on that request uh, instructed the telcos to, to block it. And, and if you want to get a little bit more technical, it's a, it's a minor DNS block, so that's pretty easy to circumvent. But obviously, when I on Saturday when I shut down the website, no one would have been able to access the website with or without any circumvention. Mm-hmm. So you know that, that's roughly where we left it. Uh, um, in in that time since then, so it's about three and a half years now. Uh, well, it's actually three years now. Um, there have been a couple of other breaches. Uh, so there was a uh, there's a couple. I think the big one that I remember is the Melinda one. So there's a, there was a Melinda breach that I did check in and that I am a part of as well, mm-hmm. uh, and a couple of others. So you know. Uh, breaches are going to happen. <laughs> it's just a fact of our modern life. Um, okay. and, and they're going to happen more, I think, over the next couple of years. Okay. So we'll get back to the Malindo Bridge since you brought it yeah. up. We'll get back to that later. But uh, I guess the, the purpose of this podcast show, rather the yeah. objective that we're trying to get to, is that the Macau scam happened, right? Yeah. And there was like millions and millions of ringgit involved. And yeah. um, uh, it's, it's popularly believed... Um, is alleged that a Macau scam happened because of the Great Telco leak. Data that was leaked because of the Great Telco leak in 2017 um, actually made the Macau scam Macau scam possible. If, in in your opinion, you know, uh, 
I do not know. Maybe maybe you played it back in your mind. But if if in your opinion your your website cyclonehack.com had been allowed to remain up, well, what kind of a, what do you think would have happened? Could Regards have, to the Macau scam. Yeah, could it have could it have like maybe I don't know prevented the Macau scam or maybe the Macau scam would have still carried on but to a lesser scale. Um, nah, wouldn't no? have impacted it. Not one bit. No. Not one bit. I mean, not one bit. No. <laughs> um, the Macau scam is actually a pretty smart thing right? if you if you think of it, like a bad guy, right? So yes. it, it it sort of um it plays on you know regular human emotions. It plays on like the fear part. So you get a call from someone. And you're in an emergency situation. Either it's some guy pretending to be an inspector, so and so from some you know police station or something like that. And so they like basically scare you into staying on the phone and you know um, transferring money out in the process. And depending on who you ask, they basically can walk you through even setting up your e-banking account, doing all of that while you're still on the phone, right? So you got no time to to call anyone or tell anyone. And uh, that sort of work. It, it sort of preys on people who, you know, probably would never come to psychonahack.com. Uh, and even if they did, I don't think that it would have made any difference because you, you, under those sort of circumstances, they sort of create this artificial duress. Um, you're not going to be thinking very clearly. And so whether or not Psychonahack exists or not, I don't think the Macau scam would have, you know, had any impact to their to their bottom line. It just wouldn't, wouldn't make any difference. Okay. Whether the data came from from uh, the same, so you have to remember that the breach wasn't in 2017. The data in the breach actually traces back, I think, 2014. I can't remember the actual date. So it's yes. you know, yes, yes, 2020. It's about six, seven years old now. Yes, um, but it's still relevant. People because of um, I forgot what you call it. You can now take your phone number across, right? So you can, as you change telcos, you can bring your same phone number across. So as long as I got your phone number, those things remain, you know, pretty stagnant. You don't change your phone number very often these days, yes. particularly if you're a postpaid subscriber. Um, and your IC number is permanent. It's chopped. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, right? Um, so I don't think there's any evidence to suggest that the, these scammers use it. But, you know, if you are going to look out for, for this, so, you know, every once in a while, I get some random email from some random guy asking me to sell them the data or <laughs> asking me to uh, whether they can find, you know, their long lost uncle or their long lost brother, you know, they sort of give me the name. I, I don't um, accede to any of these requests because mm. it'll be in, in proper use of the data. But, you know, it's not that hard to find the data. It's not that hard to process the data. It's not that hard to load that data into a database. And it's not that hard to figure out who are the most vulnerable, i.e., you know, select star where your IC number is, you know, uh, starts with 47 or 57 or some, because you can tell your age or the age of the person from the IC number. It's a very strict correlation. Mm. And so if you want to target older elderly people who um, you know, are going to have more money. <laughs> so when I was 20 something, I had no money. Uh, so you don't target young people, target old people. It's very easy from this breach to get basically all the data you need. You get a phone number, you got an address, you got a, uh, you got a name and you got an IC number, you know, Roughly yeah. enough to pull off anything, right? The, and the IMA and the IMC. Uh, yeah. Prof, Prof, you look yeah. as though you have something to add. Um, yes, I do. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, it's interesting that you brought up that the entire Marco scam is based on people's fear. Um, mm. Generally, I think there are a few aspects that we can look at here. First is collection of personal information, um, unauthorized secondary use of information, and right. then um, improper access. So in situations like this, um, we always have, there, there is a balance between what the, the responsibilities of those entities that collect and use our data 
and also the part of the users themselves. Yep. Yes, um, there is a lot that, you know, when I read, whenever there is an incident of a breach, then what we read on the media is that we are warned that we have to be aware of this, we have to be careful and stuff like that. But yet, you know, to a certain extent, we surrender the control of our information to these entities. And in that sense, there's nothing that we could do. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on this? Um, another thing that you brought up just now was that the, the elderly people, in some cases, if you look at the generations of mobile phones that we have now, generation, these our elderly people, how much do they know how to use it? In most cases, they actually pass it to their friend or someone else to help them set, the, um, set up the mobile phone or they can learn perhaps a little bit, but which doesn't give them control over what they can and what they cannot do. You know? yep. So what would be your thoughts on this? Um, let's start with the, the, the first one first. Yeah, um, yeah I mean... Part of living in the in the modern world, they have to give people your data so that they can do things. And if you want to register for a telco, you have to tell them where to send the bill to. <laughs> you have to tell them your name and you have to give your IC number. You walk up to a to any private condominium, any gated garden community, you have to identify yourself. And the way you identify yourself is you present your identification card. It's your IC card, right? That's a, it's, it's you say, well, you know, I am who I am. Here's the government issued ID, you know, and that's a number there. And then some guard somewhere might write it down on some book that never gets you know, <laughs> uh, cleansed at any point. But, you know, basically part and parcel of living in the modern world requires your data to be somewhere. And yeah, you lose some of this control. So you give data to the telco and the telco lost it. Um, nothing you can do about it, right? Uh, the only option you have is basically not get on a telco, which is pretty unreasonable, right? There's just no way. Um, you have to be, you have to have some sort of, uh, telco account to sort of operate in the modern world. So, I mean, um, that, that's one part of it, right? So Absolutely. your data is there and it's going to get lost and it's going to get stolen. Um, and that's just the price you pay. So the, the thing you want to make sure is that uh, as a result of that lost data, that you don't get, you know, scammed or you don't get, um, you know, identity theft or you don't, that sort of thing. And then you protect yourselves from those things rather than trying to protect the data. And because, you know, once this data is there, there's no really going back on it. Your IC number is a permanent thing. So once I have once your IC number and your name or something that's published online, there's just no way to pull it back. There's no, you know, putting the genie back in the bottle on that one. So it's, it's gone. It's, it's there yeah. permanently, right? And because the number doesn't change forever in your entire life, it will be like that. Um, you just have to be cautious, right? So if someone calls you claiming to know your IC number and your name and your address or whatever means nothing means absolutely nothing you know they can pretend to be the bank or the police or, or whatever um really that information is public knowledge at that point and it's worse when it's the reverse right it's worse when uh, you call someone um and want to do a legitimate transaction say with a bank or whatever and then the way they prove you are who you say you are is by asking you these sort of knowledge-based questions right what's your name what's your address what's your phone number again all that information is public knowledge the fact that you know them doesn't really prove you are who you say you are. It just proves that you have access to some data on the internet. You know, I think what That's, was I think yeah yeah go. I think what was really scary was that um when the news of the telco leak actually happened and and I saw the 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 various types of data that was out there that which was the IC number, address, phone number, I, I device number, right? IME and the IMC. I actually asked a bunch of. I was in the chat room, right? It was a cybersecurity mm -hmm. chat room. I actually asked 
all the people in there, you know, if you had this information and if you were a hacker, what would, how would you use it to, you know, get your millions, to get your ill-gotten gains? How are you going, how would you leverage it? How will you take advantage of it? Um, I did not get very much a response to that question. And then I was thinking that, um, I was thinking up, like if I was the hacker, I would think up some elaborate elaborate and very highly technical way to, to scam people off your money and things like that. But shortly after that, there was suddenly a spike in scams, right? Because when you're in WhatsApp chats room, chat rooms and with the community, if, you're, if you interact very regularly with the IT community, somehow there'll be news about scams, you know, yep. going around. And, and there was a spike, Serious, seriously, there was. And there was a, a time where I would tell my mom, hey, mom, be careful when you receive calls from people whom you think you trust. Like, for example, uh, people from banks or people from the courts or people from policing. They're, they're not who they say they are. I warned her, my mom's an elderly person. Yep. And despite this, right, mm -hmm. the Macau scam still happened. Yep. It's not that it happened overnight or whatever. People had people knew about it. People knew that their their information was out there and there was already it was even covered in the news in Malaysia. I'm not sure about Singapore, but it was really covered in the news in Malaysia that scams like this were happening. And then yep. fast forward to today, boom, it, there's a name for it. It's called the Markov scam and there was millions involved. It still happened anyway. You know? Yeah, yeah. it'll still happen. Scams are still gonna happen, right? So um you know, I go to Malaysia very often. Every time I go back to Malaysia in Plang, by the Kasas Highway, there's this one guy who walks around with a neck brace begging for money. Um, and it's the same guy, like six, eight months. Every time I go back, he's always there. You know, he's begging, he's always getting money. Uh, but there's a different type of scam that sort of preys on people's sort of like generosity and people's sort of, and No one's giving their life savings to this guy, but he seems to be making a pretty decent sum of money um, in begging along the, <laughs> the traffic lights. Um, but it's a different level of scam. But scams will always occur. You know, they just like regularly. This is like you know, if you had to take away the sort of evilness about the whole concept of you know, um, cheating people out of the entire life savings and cheating them out of a retirement, basically, um, the scam is actually pretty well constructed, right? It's it's aimed at the right people. It's got the right knobs that it hits on human emotions. It gets the right amount of money, and it actually requires as far as I understand, more infrastructure than what is you can see because how do you get money out of a bank account? It can only be transferred to another bank account. So there's actually multiple levels of victims here, not just the person that's losing the money, but also the person that, you know, mules the money to them eventually. And, and five million, millions of dollars is not small cash. Yeah. And then here's the thing, Keith, don't you think yeah. also there is such a waste that we made it so easy for them? Yeah. Um, <laughs> that All of that data yeah. since 2014... You know, literally like handed over to them, and yeah. we made just made it so easy for them. There was all the data, right? They could use it, and they they did. Yeah. So well, I don't know whether they used it or not, but you know, it, it's not a true, true. It's a uh, It's very plausible. It's very plausible because it has all the information that you need to to run this, and because people don't change phone numbers and don't change IC addresses, and they very rarely shift houses, etc. All of that information remains stagnant. So even though it's six, seven years old, it's still pretty useful data to execute this sort of scams yeah. yeah so you okay. see um yes i have to give my information when i register for a number and so forth but yep. from a consumer perspective when i do that there is an implied contract social contract yep. at least yes. you know and any violation any breach that does not just fall solely on the consumers okay. but what i think is that 
there is a lot more that the corporates can do and they should do and whether they are doing enough or not to protect consumers. Yeah, so actually, um, it's not an implied social contract. It's actually by law within the um, personal data protection. I have to go brush up on my, my legal reasons. But, uh, well, that is in place of regulatory yeah. protection. But if Correct. let's say we, if we do not talk about all this, then the very act that I give you any information of mine, then to me, that's some form of trust there that you would do it. Now, of course, there are some who would, um, for incentives or other reasons, they would also willingly disclose their personal information. Yep. You know? So it happens in so many ways at so many different levels. And in the case of this Markov scam and the uh, 2017 telco leak, you know, mm-hmm. as you just said it yourself, it is done in, it's not just a random way where you target anybody based on the information that you get. It is, it, to me, it is well orchestrated and uh, yep. everything is pre-planned on that. So don't you think there is a link to it that it would have actually, to a certain extent, it actually helps to, you know, towards, to push towards the success of this scam? Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, um, any is these scams and these, uh, these criminal organizations, they're still eventually at the, at the core of them, still business operations. You know? uh, and so if you increase the cost of doing business, then suddenly the profitability and the viability of the operation drops, right? So at the moment, it's just so easy, right? If you've got this massive database uh, of everyone and you run these calls and you can tailor make your, you know, your marketing segment, if you like, so I can, you know, target these specific, you know, <laughs> prospective clients that are more likely to be scammed than these specific clients. So if I randomly call some number, I would, like, somebody might respond, but I have no idea who that person is. I have no idea um, what I see number that person is. So it's harder to sort of convince them that I really am a police officer. Um, uh, plus, I have no idea what demographic they fall in. So they might be, you know, young and have no money and nothing to be scammed of. So uh, that sort of random calling wouldn't work because the cost of doing the business would be too high. Um, if instead I could target specifically people and I could, you know, maybe even do even further analysis or target richer neighborhoods or target people more likely to be susceptible to the scam, then the cost of doing business reduces because I make, make less calls to make more money, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's just, I, I mean, and. and uh, uh, at the core of it is just a business operation. And so what we should do is basically we increase their cost of doing business. If there was some way to increase their cost of doing business, mm-hmm. then that would actually target a scam out, right? Uh, and of course, the, the easiest way to do that is by basically catching them <laughs> because then the cost of business is infinity. But, you know, uh, yeah, what I understand is these guys are also, they're, they're multi-million dollar scams. Some of those millions flow back in the form of bribes. <laughs> so that's a yeah. tougher way to do it. But yeah. I mean, um, yeah. So the, I think, yeah. So that's just, yeah. Sorry, please carry yeah. on. <laughs> I, I can't. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. So you you sound as though you're onto something with a with um. Because I, I actually saw the YouTube video of you when you gave a talk uh, at a Hack in the Box conference in 2018. Yeah. Uh, from what I understand from that video is that you are you haven't stopped wanting to build a breach notification service maybe you yep. have already maybe you have already i'm, I'm not sure um what what are your plans 